With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down. You beautiful people. What's up, Wildcats? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I am Adam Green, and joined again by Brett Barry. Brett, you made it to a second show. Congratulations. Thank you. I must have done something uh, satisfactorily enough to uh, get invited back. Admittedly, I've been around now for a couple of years. The bar isn't that high. Thanks for setting the bar so low, Adam. It gives the rest of us hope. <laughs> it's what I do, man. I keep that bar as low as possible. But, you know, let's get right to it. With the good news first, because we like nice things, and it appears that for the first time in maybe, I don't know, a season, a year, two years, Arizona has a nice thing in the basketball team. A couple more wins last week. They are now ranked 14th in the nation, slowly rise, rising in the polls. Who is, I think... The guys like Goodman and Seth Davis, they're starting to acknowledge that, hey, maybe Arizona's not bad. Jay Billis had, I think, Arizona as their, his team of the week, which went over well on Twitter with Arizona fans because <laughs> I think all is forgiven now for Jay Billis and Arizona basketball and fans. So, I mean... All, all they want is for everyone to agree that Arizona is the best at everything. <laughs> well, at least basketball, right? So 14 yeah. too long. Though, to be fair, though, now that you said we have a nice thing, we're going to have like six ACL tears in the next week. As long as it's the same person. I don't think that's mathematically possible. Have you seen Arizona's luck? Fair. They're going to discover new ACLs, and he's, they're going to get torn. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Arizona, since we were last on the air, Arizona beat San Jose State, who was a bad basketball team. Arizona won that game 87-39. Then they played New Mexico State, won that game 83-53. to And I remember we talked about the New Mexico State game would be the one where it's like, okay, it's a, Arizona's better than them. They should be better than them, especially at McHale Center. But it was going to be a test. And really, it wasn't, which speaks so well of this basketball team. Yeah, I mean, it was still, it wasn't super crazy, but in the first half, and there was a little bit of the lackadaisical play, I feel like, from the Wildcats. Uh, they definitely came out and turned it on in the second half. It seemed like, especially with a little more defensive energy. For the sake of just facts, it was 43 to 21 at halftime. Fair. So if we're going to say... <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> well, but I mean, you, you could see that there was just a lot of, you know, balls bouncing around. There, I mean, we were scoring at will. That's the fundamental thing on that, right? Um, and they were just missing shots, and they were there was a lot of bumbling the ball around. But there was a lot of guys getting beat on the wings that it seemed like, you know, there wasn't as much focus as there could have been. Sure, sure. And that's I think that's to be expected with a team like this early on. They still got these freshmen, and... They're great freshmen. It's been, Zeke Naji hasn't missed a shot in a couple of games, which is really cool. Just, his nickname should be Mr. Perfect. He hasn't missed a shot in like three and a half games, including free throws. Makes sense. <laughs> he's going to miss a shot again. I feel confident saying he's going well, to you miss a shot. Well, now you jinxed him. My bad, everyone. <laughs> Zeke, my apologies. But, you know, we see this game, and Arizona's winning 
again, in different ways. I mean, you have the freshmen. Zeke Naji's been, by far and away, their most consistently good player. Nico Mannion, again, running the offense, making some shots. He's good. Josh Green, his shooting isn't always there. wasn't as good against New Mexico State. He only made uh, two of seven shots, and yet it's all working. And right. without trying to just break down that game, because like, these aren't top-flight opponents that they're beating, you know, to get to this record, they're 4-0 right now, and they're doing it at home, so they haven't had that signature win yet. But there's something to be said, and we could go back and see some of the better Arizona teams, or we thought were better Arizona teams, maybe two years ago, where they would play these bad teams or these lesser teams, and they might win by 7, 8, 10, 12. And you're like, okay, they won, a win's a win. And yes, a win's a win. You told me, I think, that last week, actually, a win's a win. <laughs> But in reality, when you have a really good basketball team, what you think is a really good basketball team, when you make the bad teams or the, at least the lesser teams look really bad, that says a lot. Absolutely. That I mean, have we seen that since the Brandon Ashley, Aaron Gordon, Hollis Jefferson year? Even, the Markinen year, maybe a few times. Yeah, but I mean, even I mean, even those teams because they were just such a defensive-minded team it was usually pretty low scoring, so you never necessarily blew people out, right? The they didn't have is, the offense to do this it. This team scores with ease. I mean, like like you pointed out, like they scored what forty three points in the first half. I think and said. that's when you're and, thinking they didn't look that great. And they were and they were being sloppy in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of the half, right? And it's like, man, I mean, hell, or here's a difference compared to last season. Chase Jeter had what four points. Do we win a game last year if Chase Jeter only scores four points, even against like a New Mexico State? No, it's only not by thirty. Yeah, it, it'd be you know some last second shot you know uh from uh justin coleman hitting a <laughs> uh was he or was, yeah he was last year on the team the yeah he was on the team last year he's a coach make sure he wasn't two years an ago an assistant now, yeah, yeah. He's a grad assistant coach but like you know if the if if chase Jeter had four points last year we struggled to win that game now it's like oh chase Jeter only had four points cool yeah, that's fine and they're gonna need him to get <laughs> going and that, i like chase Jeter and we talked about this last week, like there, or we talked about this at least off the air, where there are certain guys, and Chase Jeter is one of them, where last season he had to be the best player, and if he's your best player, you're not going to be a good team, or at least a very good team, because he was solid last year. There's nothing wrong with Chase Jeter. He got hurt, wasn't quite the same when he came back, but he was a pretty solid, consistent yeah. player. But you don't want to be your best player. Now you put him on this team where he's kind of a role player, which probably sells him short because he's more talented than your traditional role guy. He can play defense. He can score. He can rebound. He's a good basketball player, but they don't need him to be great. He can be what he did against New Mexico State, score four points, play a little post-defense, grab a few rebounds, and you're just fine. And there's going to be games where they need him to do more, where Signaggi is going to miss a shot or two, or someone's going to get into foul trouble. Exactly. <laughs> like, it seems that way now, and that's, again, the beauty of this team as we see, and it's four games in, and they haven't had that signature, like I said, but they have the ability to win without every single player that's supposed to be good being good. And that's not to say Chase Jeter's been bad, but right. he doesn't have to put up 15 points a game. Again, Arizona scored 83 points in this game, and he had four of them. I mean, I, I think Chase Jeter on a really good, successful team and not to uh, set unrealistic expectations for this year's team is... Oh, undefeated, easily. Well, I mean, he could be, if he's A.J. Bramlett, to go back to the national championship Wildcats team... That's all you need from him. You need a quality big who plays defense, grab rebounds, and can put the ball in the in the hole when he gets it in the post. And as long as he's okay with that role, and that's the tricky thing. And he thing. seems and, like he really is. And that's winning cures all else. Is that what they say? That's the cliche. Like, right. as long as you're winning, no one can complain. <laughs> Once you lose a game, it's like, hey, why am I not getting more shots? Why am I not getting more minutes? And that's 
hey, if they don't lose a game this season, then it won't be a problem, right? <laughs> easy, so that's easy solution, Adam. Hey, don't Sean lose. Miller, advice from Wildcat Radio 2.0, don't lose any games and you don't have to write your rotation. <laughs> yeah, Sean, you'll look really brilliant if you don't lose. It's the, it's the <laughs> secret that a lot of coaches don't think about. <laughs> they don't understand that. I, I, we're just breaking new ground here. We're coming up with <laughs> unique solutions to coaching struggles. So really, this is a really high-value-add podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but like, that's, that's the thing about this team. And you, know, you watch them, and it's hard not to get excited about what they're doing. And you know there's going to be games where the freshmen don't play well, where Zeke Nagy misses a few shots or gets into foul trouble. But just the depth, and we, we talked about last week, where they're going to score points. We've seen them score points. Offense doesn't seem to be a problem, which is really unique for a Sean Miller team. I don't probably the marketing year they had better offense than before because they had Larry Markkinen. That was a good team, but to have as many weapons as they have in Sean Miller. I know has talked about them in his post game press conferences where he wants to run the ball more, like run up the floor more, not run the ball. This isn't football, but like just get out and run because this team they're going to win. They're going to win big with their defense. But they're going to win a lot of games with because of their offense, because they have seven, eight, nine guys who any single night can be good for 10-plus points. I think you can go 10, 11 guys deep that are good for that. I mean, Ira Lee last year was, what, maybe our third, fourth-best offensive player? And no slight to Ira Lee, but he's if he's your third-best offensive option... There's a reason why last year's team wasn't very exactly. good. Exactly, and the, you know the thing that the the last couple games since we last recorded that that was most uh, promising to me, where my biggest concern, if they're you know if you're going to nitpick, I think we talked about you, it. You was, have to nitpick right now. You know, yeah, um, was if what happens if Nico Mannion isn't playing? How's the offense going to go? And I feel like two things that I've seen in the last week that give me a little bit of comfort now. If he got into foul trouble or sprained an ankle. First of all, Debonair Dutrieve coming came back. back. And not just came back, but he looked pretty darn comfortable handling the ball in that kind of quasi-point well, He point used to guard. be a point guard in high school, which is yeah, different than I mean, Pac-12, I get A, a high school but. point guard that scored, you know, how many points a game. And it's there's a there's a difference between, you know, his skill set in terms of a, being a facilitator and what Nico Oh, can. sure. No doubt. But I was impressed uh, at his ability to handle the ball and seemed like he had a pretty good handle on the offense and kind of directing things, at least to be manageable as a game manager. That's also a, a threat to score and can hopefully play some decent defense. And then the other thing was, how about Baker against New Mexico state? What did he get 16 points off the bench? And, you know, cause he was dealing with some hip issue, I think for the first week or two coming, coming mm-hmm. when yeah. he got cleared. But if you have Dutrieve and Baker that can kind of fill that role along with hazard, I feel a little better with foul trouble or the, like a sprained ankle for missing a game or two. Yes. Long term, obviously, if they lose Nico Mangan, they're in trouble because you don't have. If you had Brandon Williams, you'd feel better because, like Jamal Baker, he's perfect as that backup point guard slash two guard for you. Dutrieve, the same thing. They're com- like Kadeem Allen. Like, that yeah. maybe sell him short because he was really good as point guard. That, but you never wanted him to be your point guard. You wanted him to be a. He was a scorer at, in junior college. Like he came to Arizona, became a point guard slash defensive stopper, and he was great at the defensive part, especially. But he was never a point guard. Right. T.J. McConnell was a point guard. Parker Jackson Cartwright, for all his faults, was a point guard. Nico Mannion is a point guard, like to the extreme. He, he's great at everything that a point guard needs to be good at. But Baker isn't that guy. He's a combo guard who can play point. Dutrieve's a big guard who can play some point, which in those spot minutes, like you're saying, great. And I think what makes this better for them, if it comes to something like that, and that's where the depth comes in, where... Can you run this offense or can you run any semblance of offense without Nico Manning? Can you run it through Najee? Can you run your offense through Chase Deer if you can get the entry pass? 
And right. these are all things that Mannion's great at. He can make those passes that we talked about DeAndre Ayton, how many times they couldn't make an entry pass for the guy. But if they can do that, you don't you're significantly better with Nico Mannion on the floor. <laughs> but are you relying on him to facilitate your office to do everything? Like when the Suns when they had Steve Nash, how many times if Nash doesn't have the ball, you're not scoring? Right. Are the Wildcats that type of team with Nico Mannion, or are they the type of team where, yeah, Baker is out there, and they can still run an offense. It's a different offense, but they can still run an effective offense, and it seems like they can. Well, I was going to say half sarcastically, it's really easy. Just get the ball to Zeke Nagy, and he won't miss a shot. <laughs> but you know, Again, I, brilliant coaching ideas from Wildcat Radio. You know what the difference is between Zeke Nagy versus DeAndre Ayton or getting the ball to Chase Cedar? Because he brought it up getting the, the ball into the post, which has been – a bugaboo for the team the last couple of years, especially in the DeAndre Ayton years. Probably most college basketball teams, so that's not it's, exactly a skill it's, it's, these guys learn in high school. Well, and you know, they're you know, high school basketball is not where they're spending their focus anymore. It's all the AAU, and it's a bunch of high end recruits that are just running through games. So how many dominant post guys are there in college well, or in high school and, basketball? And, <laughs> There's and, and not no, a lot. And nobody's trying to play those AAU games to uh, show how tough they are in the post. They're trying to show their skill set to get recruited. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a it's a different kind of animal. It's like the seven on seven for the high school football players. Yeah, not actually football. But the the difference between Najee, and this is no knock on DeAndre Ayton, obviously he's guy's number one pick and had a pretty nice jump shot, but Najee's getting the ball a lot at the high post, and he's a threat to hit from there, but there was, uh, against New Mexico State, he got the ball at the high post, just swept the ball through, took two dribbles, and basically just muscled up a layup on the defender who was on him the whole time, but he just can't keep up with him. And it's it's much easier to get that entry pass to the high post than trying to get a low post guy where it's easier to come over and help, especially when you got, you know, Chase Jeter on the opposite block that's still a threat to score. And, mm-hmm. you know, we actually have a team full of shooters, it seems like, so far at least. Seems crazy, right? You know, that's, knock, you know, knock on wood, because there's going to be games when that when those shots just aren't falling, even when they're good but shots. That's, but that's when you turn to Najee. That's when you turn to Chase Jeter. That's when you hope a guy like Nico Mann can get to the lane, get Facilitate, to the bucket. Yeah. Ira Lee can do that. Like, And, again, this is all... Everything that's happened through four games, and we're recording this podcast on Wednesday. Arizona plays on Thursday, so by the time you listen to this, there's going to be a fifth game already in the books, and hopefully it goes like this. Because Six then this, ACL tears in that game, <laughs> too. Jeez. Then if that's what happens, then we're going to just make sure this doesn't get posted because that wouldn't work. <laughs> but, but through this point, Arizona's showing that they have those options where if you can't make the shot, and that's, I guess, when the shot doesn't fall, what are they going to look like? They made 10 of 21 threes against New Mexico State. That's really damn good. They're not going to shoot 48% from three-point range, making 10 of them. You do that. If, if an Arizona team makes 10 threes in a game, they're going to win 100% of the time. <laughs> like, and that, that's just who they are because they play good enough defense. But when that doesn't happen, do you feel confident in that Mannion, Jeter, Najee, Green, Smith, Gettings, Lee – do Treve, Baker, Hazard, they could find a way to manufacture some points because, like, I do. And that's what excites me about this team because offensively, nothing they've done is fluky. You see those games where a team makes, like, if Arizona in the past made 10 threes in a game, you'd be like, you know what, that's great, but they're not going to shoot like that every game. And when they don't shoot like that, they're in trouble. This team, I'm going to tell you, they're not going to shoot like that every game, but it's not going to be a death knell. Like, that's not going to be the reason why they lose a game because they didn't make 10 threes. Well, not all, not all field goal attempts are created equal when you look at a stat sheet, right? The reason why they're shooting 40% from three is a lot of the time because it's from a product of good ball movement. You oh, guys, wide open. Guys with their feet set, wide open, uh, an underrated skill that Nico Mannion has uh, you know, incredibly well is actually ball placement. on Putting it where they want it to shoot base comfortably. Passes. I mean, yeah. you throw the ball... 
you know, eight inches to the left of a guy or right of a guy, it might drop a shooting percentage on that three. You're a tall guy when you play basketball. Like if the ball, the pass, you might be wide open, the ball's at your knees. Yeah. It throws you off rhythm. I might be able to catch and get a shot up, but my my shooting percentage just dropped 50%, right? And that's one of those subtle things uh, that you, you know, that's the finer art of the game that I think means that's not a mirage, that shooting percentage. But to your point, I think that ball movement also allows you to manufacture uh, high-quality shot selection. Because, you know, and, and the last point I guess I would say is if, you know, I'm, I'm still not 100% sold on the team defensively as good as they looked against New Mexico State. There were still a lot of times where they were getting beat, but then they just, like, they caught up and were able to block the shots because they're Which, such freak athletes. And that won't happen against some of the better programs yeah, and better opponents. They need to, they need to kind of clean that up, especially on those those perimeter drives, because if you allow a, a, a Duke or a Kentucky or a Gonzaga to get into those kind of positions, you're not going to be able to just catch up and you know block their shots. But if you're playing better defense, you can also generate some offense with the athletes that we have, the horses running the, the wings and Nico Mannion. I'm, I'm just waiting for that first Mike Bibby alley-oop pass from you know, three-quarter court for somebody for a dunk, because I think it's coming. <laughs> All right, so this is Wildcat Radio 2.0 in the Vivid Seats studio, and you, we talk about that, but Ken Palm right now, and it's four games into the season. Like, I know we all love Ken Palm. It's like, oh, they're actually a pretty good indicator of who the good teams are. Arizona's ranked 11th right now, 17th in adjusted defense, 11th in offense, which I, I'd have to look back, and if I was good at this, I would show prep better. <laughs> but... When Arizona's been really good, have they been top 20 in that? And it's really early. And to your point, Brett, they haven't played that team that has the athletes that when they get by Arizona, they're going to throw the ball down. They're going to dunk it. They're going to get layups. Like They've been playing inferior opponents, and you can get away with certain things. But we talked about last week, and I know Sean Miller's talking about how Signaggi is a great defender, a better defender than people thought. And we know Nico Manning can play some defense, and Baker can play defense, and Jeter's a good post defender. Like, this has the makings of a team that shouldn't be bad on defense. Whether they're going to be top five like they were in the McConnell years where it's just like you go up and down the line, good defender, good defender, great defender, good defender, great defender. They may not have that, but they should be good enough, probably upper echelon defense with an offense that we're seeing is also that good, which is the balance that the best Arizona teams under Miller haven't really had. Now that you can't win with defense because every Arizona fan, and we will tell you, if Brandon actually doesn't break his foot, Arizona wins the title that year. We can say that because no one can prove us wrong, <laughs> but, but you have that belief. This team, if it can be top 15, top 20, both offensively and defensively, it gives you the feeling that when it comes down to it in a tournament game, whether it's an Elite Eight game or however far they get, or any game, really, regular season, where they can win in different ways, that they're going to score enough because their defense will be good enough, and they'll win however they need to on a given night. Yeah, I... I agree with that. I I think the I believe that offensive rating. I kind of want to see more proof on the defensive rating. I think that offensive rating is going to hold true even as we go up against higher competition. Is my is my inclination. Like I said, I've seen too many times where they're just catching up and after they got beat, and that's not, that's something that I think you can clean up. But you know, Sean Miller said he thinks Zeke is a great defensive player. The thing that I think is a key to that with him at least. I mean, New Mexico State. He was going nuts by forcing a back court that was a missed call by the, the official and like, you know, screaming like a warrior after uh, blocking a shot against New Mexico State up 25. And that kind of intensity and effort, if you can carry that through, is half the battle and was sometimes lacking in the last last couple teams. But That's actually a good point. This team has Nico Mannion, who we know <laughs> likes to talk trash. And like they've had guys... 
DeAndre Ayan, he would throw out a huge yell after he'd make a dunk or something. And I think he got teed up against Oregon one time for doing that. It's like, what? You know, Alkins would do that at times, but we've talked about his toughness level. And I've used air quotes because I like Raleigh. But this Raleigh team, Alkins killed that Oregon guy, but it was his only good play of that entire well, the USC game in the guy. Pac-12 tournament. It was the, the USC, USC guy in the Pac-12 oh, tournament. God. You know, like... He, that's I think I'm like, yep, we're gonna win the national championship. This is it. This is it. And People forget he was so awful in that game, other than that dunk, which granted it was, was an awesome dunk. An amazing dunk. But this team seems to have an attitude, and it's <laughs> we have to see them when things don't go right. We have to see them when they lose a game, and we have to see them when it's close because it's easy to talk trash when you're up twenty. It's easy to have that yell when you block a shot and be all like, that's right, when you're up twenty five. Like of, of course. But do they have that intensity? Does it carry over into a close game? Does it carry over when they're losing? And does it lead to increased focus when they need it? And like you want a confident team. And the last couple of years, the team never seemed confident. Not in like a not in a walk onto the court, oh, we're gonna win because we're here, because we're Arizona. Like, no, but that that you just knew you were gonna win. And that's what we talked about the Aaron Gordon year team. Didn't matter what the score was late, they just knew it seemed like they knew, like, you know what? Last time this game, you're not going to score more than 10 points, and Arizona's going to end up winning by 15. Like It's like they had that quiet confidence because you knew – I think opponents probably knew it too. Like Does this team have that in it? Does this team have that ability to say – maybe not to say it. It's not something that you say, but that have the ability to – when you know it's a close game late or when it's just whatever game it is, like, yeah, they're going to wear you down and they're going to beat you. And do they have that mentality? That's what we have to see. Yeah, I think early indications would say yes. But they seem to have this young uh, swagger and confidence that's just based in fun and confidence in their skill level, which is it's a little different kind of confidence than the, the Aaron Gordon team where it was, you know, if we were within 10 with 10 minutes left, I'm like, all right, we're going to win the game. They're just <laughs> like this game's over. <laughs> you know, as long as it's not, we're not completely getting blown out. Which um, never happened. Yeah. I think it happened against Oregon that year once on the road towards the end of the season. I, yeah, it might have. I can't recall. I, I was I, in Vegas when it happened, so I shouldn't be able to recall it either. But, you, you but did, I'm pretty sure I You do. did Vegas wrong. Yeah. But, you know, and part of me wonders if that confidence is is partially based in the youth on this team, but there's enough, you know, upperclassmen and experienced guys on there that I don't think it's just that. There's a balance of that youthful swagger where they're just not afraid of the big stage or of going to battle with anybody. But I'm I'm real curious to see. I think our next really big challenge is Baylor's coming up pretty soon, right? Uh, December seventh. So that's a couple. There weeks are away. one, two. There are three games before Baylor, who right now is ranked twenty fourth. So that would be. I mean, it's at Baylor too, and Baylor yeah, beat Arizona last season in one of the ugliest games. Well, well, there were a lot of ugly games last season, but yeah, that one was pretty bad. Yeah, I think I think that game is going to provide an interesting, you know. An interesting story in terms of where this team is at. Are you saying South Dakota State, Long Beach State, and Pepperdine are... I mean, Pepperdine coached by uh, Lorenzo Romar, right? Yeah. A, rev- a Lorenzo Romar revenge game. That That's a little bit... There's two games before that. There's two games this weekend. <laughs> Again, we're recording this. Is it a revenge game when, you're, uh, when you when you, you, you no happily problem. left? Yeah, it's like, maybe? The fighting Romars? Again, we're recording this on Wednesday from the Vivid Seat studio. You're right, Brett, and that And I guess that's the, the tough part. And that's where if you want to... If you want to doubt this team, and you could say this about pretty much everyone in college basketball that's good. It's like, well, who have they beat, right? Maybe there's a couple of these that have a good win. You're like, okay, it's early. It's whatever. And Arizona hasn't yet played that team. They say, that's a big win. That shows they're for real. But at the same time, like I remember last year's team, they went to UConn and won that game. And I thought, hey, that matters. 
that's a good win. And so, I know UConn wasn't a great team. It's like a road, a true road game. They won. It's like, oh, this team might have something. And then we know how the rest of the season went. I guess, and maybe this is being a homer. I'm not going to say it's not. But to me, the fact that they're winning by these huge margins says more than maybe a close win over a pretty decent opponent does. And that's say you're going to have to beat good teams. If this team wants to be a Pac-12 champion, wants to make a Final Four, win a national championship, they're going to probably have to beat a, pretty, a few good teams along the way. I understand that. But more than likely, <laughs> they could be a number one seed, and they have to what beat a sixteen seed, then a nine seed, and like sooner or later they have to play a decent team. But they beat NAU by thirty nine, they beat Illinois by twenty one, San Jose State by what twenty thirty eight, How's my math here? Forty eight. And New Mexico State by 30. How's your math? We beat them by Thursday. Damn, that's the caliber. <laughs> It'd still be right. No, but like these, these margins, and they're not going to beat Baylor by that much. They're not going to beat Washington, Oregon. They're probably not going to beat a lot of Pac-12 teams by that much. But to me, the fact that they've been doing that says so much. And things could change, obviously. We haven't seen them play that really good opponent. But they're showing that. When you're a decent team and you play the bad teams and you look okay, it's like Arizona football this season. When they beat Texas Tech, who's decent, but it was a close game. When you struggle to beat, and we're going to get to U of A football, don't worry. Oh, but God. still some more basketball left, so keep listening. <laughs> like, but it was a close win against UCLA with Grant Canella quarterback. Close win against Texas Tech. Close win against Colorado, who's not a great football team. When you don't beat the, and I'm not saying that any of those teams are bad. But when you don't beat the bad, even NAU was closer in the second half than it should have been. But when you, when you beat bad teams or significantly lesser teams, or teams that you believe are lesser than you, by a smaller margin, it's like, okay, well, really, how good are you? When you blow them out, when you show that they don't belong on the same court as you, that says that you are on a completely different level than a team like that is. And the question is just how many levels above them are you? But right now, Arizona is looking at at least the teams they've played, the New Mexico states of the world. They are three or four levels above that. Yeah, to be fair, we don't know how good or bad the Illinois team is. There's certainly a lot of talent on that team. Um, and it, through that first half, it was a tight game, right? And then sure. we just It was almost like we threw a bunch of haymakers on the offensive side of the ball and just outran them and ran them out the, out the gym in the second half, right? Um, but to your point... There's, you know, I mean, we like we said, we're having to nitpick right now to find anything to be really concerned about because the uniforms are still bad. Yeah, they're not, they're <laughs> not, they're not as bad as the color gradients in the football uniforms and the numbers, but you know, few things are. <laughs> oh God! When are we due for those new football uniforms? It's got to be pretty soon, right? <laughs> Come on, Nike, if you're listening, give us some new unis, please. Please, Nike, if you are listening, new uni- well, really across. Well, basketball and football. Baseball uniforms are nice. Softball's fine. They haven't messed with softball go, at all. Go back to those ones that were, what, two years ago? The basketball uniforms were perfect combination, the, classic and modern. No, the, the last McConnell year. Or no, the Ryan Anderson year was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, those were solid. Those were perfecto. So that that's where we're at right now. It's, what, the third week of basketball season? The fourth week? We're nitpicking like, the uniforms. The uniforms, which has been a long... It's been a few years coming now. It's This isn't new ground that we're breaking here on Wildcat Radio, but that's that's where it's at with the basketball team right now. Like You, you watch them, and everything you would have hoped that they would be, they have been. Their freshmen have been stars. It's a freshman class that looks like, well, it's that rare freshman group that they're ready to play at this level. The veterans are sliding into their roles nicely like this team looks every bit as good as we hoped it would 
early on. Of course, we know there's going to be tougher games and missed shots by Zeke Naji. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh, man. I did it. Well, I already jinxed him earlier. And there's going to be losses. This team isn't going undefeated, but they seem to have the makings of a team that can do some real damage and be good throughout the season. Like you mentioned last week, Brett, like the offense, it makes them fun to watch. Like, there's nothing wrong with winning 60 to 50, but there's something fun about watching them win 83 53. Yeah, I was following your lead in terms of really good prep work and looking at our next opponent, San Diego State, to see who they've beat. And boy, I, you know, they beat CSUB by two points. CSUB? I'm not even sure what school that is. Isn't it like Cal University Bakersfield or something? Uh, it might be Bakersfield. I think it was going to play them in 90, the last few years. 93 91. That's what a lot of offense. That is a lot of offense. Though they, San Diego State got trounced by USC by 20 and lost to Nebraska by, looks like, uh, 17. Well, then there's Long Beach State, the 49ers. Did I, I thought someone changed the name, or am I thinking of someone else? Did they go to U Long Beach State and trademark it? <laughs> Another thing to nitpick. <laughs> U, whatever. It makes for good jokes. Arizona was on, what, Saturday Night Live for that? Yeah. They got, what, like 19 references behind ASU now when it comes to being made fun of on if national TV? If that's the worst thing that we're going to get made fun, fun of for, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk that up as a win. <laughs> yeah, but like, like you said, Brett, San Diego State, Long Beach State, those games are both in Tucson at the McHale Center. And if you want to get to those games, you know what? If you don't have season tickets, you can still go because... Vivid Seats exists, and Vivid Seats, we're in the Vivid Seats studio, but Vivid Seats is a great source to grab tickets for the events you want to go to. So Arizona basketball, concerts, NFL games, wherever you want to go, Vivid Seats is a place to go for that. And you know what makes Vivid Seats even better, Brett? What's that? They have a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. <laughs> Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Once you do, you're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program, so even better of this program, you don't have to sign up for it. You're just automatically enrolled. There you go. It's like being a Costco member. You're already a member once you join. Except for you, uh, you have to pay for that up front. Like, Indeed. That is a good point, Brett Barry. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase also is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. So concerts, games, theater shows, and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. And also, enter the code OVERTIME. We get even more back. So, yeah, you're good. Vivid Seats is the place to go for your tickets. All right, that was fun. <laughs> Let's talk about football. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> to be fair, I mean... Hey, can you lose by 28 points and I actually feel like we looked better than I expected we were going to? Yeah, so we gave our score predictions last week and we were wildly off. The defense, of course, the second play of the game gave up a long touchdown because, hey, coverage breakdowns are fun. Oofta. Yeah, I remember watching going like, it's one of those where you're like, Arizona's not going to win, but maybe, no, definitely not. Two plays in, you're like, that's, that's how it's going to be. Thanks for having that happen early so I didn't have my hopes. It was dashed. a late game. Man. Like, I got to go to bed. Fair. I'm lying. I stayed up for the whole game. I, apparently, I hate myself sometimes. But it was a game where Arizona... They lost because they were the inferior team, and they had their issues early in the game. They what, almost had 12 men on the field, oh, then and took two off, and then got the stop. Mason made Trayvon a good play. Mason makes the <laughs> You're like, wait, okay, so is that the key? I know someone was asked about like, oh, maybe just play with 10 guys on you. It's like, yeah, no. Did you see that apparently like some coaches got into a fist I fight? I heard about that, which 
at least someone has some fight in them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> imagine if Trayvon Mason hadn't made the tackle. <laughs> there would have been a murder on the sideline, maybe. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a different story, too. It's like, is this program out of control? I, on the one hand, you want to see fire. You want to see people who care. You don't get into a fight if you don't care. Right. But this team, and we said it last week on the show, we weren't expecting a win. No one was expecting Arizona to win the game. But wanted to see them continue to play hard. You wanted to see them compete to the extent that they could. And offensively, they were terrible. And I think like missing, what, 60% of their offensive line? And the backups. Yeah. Jordan Morgan didn't play the second half. It probably caught up with them. Yeah. But defensively, they gave up 34 points and were solid. They got an interception in the game. Of course, Arizona was like there was a muff punt, and they had four guys around it, and not one of them got the ball because it bounced to the Oregon guys. Like, yeah. fumbles are luck oftentimes, but 34 points against Oregon, who's not the best offense in college football, but they're good, and Arizona did compete as well as they could in this game. For, get, for getting blown out, it had a competitive feel to it, that, that blown coverage notwithstanding. Um, like there was in the trick play led to a touchdown. It's like, that's right. You have to bust out the trick plays to beat Arizona, Oregon. Can't well, beat them straight up. I mean, the superior team should never be running trick plays against an inferior team. Paging Washington against Arizona State. Or Arizona State may be at Oregon State on a two-point conversion attempt, but yeah. hey, who are we to argue? <laughs> but yeah, you know, the, the thing that was promising, the most promising thing that I saw, well, a couple promising things, I guess. We talked about it before we recorded the other day. We actually saw some of those scheme changes that we wanted to see, some 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 creativity. Jace Whitaker getting in the backfield, you know, getting some manufacturing at least a little bit of pressure. There were we, blitzes. Yeah, even even if they didn't necessarily get home, there was there was some creativity there. And I think that blown coverage notwithstanding, I think the safety play was better than we've seen in a while. Because granted, you know, they were setting the bar lower than Adam Green does for podcasts every week. Fair. Uh, but you know, the <laughs> improvement is still improvement. <laughs> so, you almost made it through all that without laughing. <laughs> You'll get better. It's only your second show. We wanted to see them have some fight in this season because they're, I guess they're still technically bowl eligible if they win their last two games, but they're not going to a bowl game at Oregon. Wasn't going to be the one, the game they stole anyway. If they're going to steal one of these games against the ranked team. It was going to be the next one against Utah at home. We felt like, yeah. but Grant Cannell got the start in this game, which was like, hey, cool. He was, eh. Cool Tate came in and looked more impactful than Cannell did, but obviously didn't do enough to keep them competitive. He, a couple of field goal drives, and that was it. But I think this was that game where Oregon was just a better football team. They didn't make the mistakes. And where their strengths were in this game, like Arizona's weaknesses, especially offensive line, which they're all hurt. I'm not trying to just... Right. kill their offensive line for that. But when your offensive line can't pass block, you're going to have a hard time throwing the ball. It doesn't matter which your quarter, who your quarterback is. And that's why Gunnell, he didn't make any killer mistakes, but he just he wasn't as good as he had been because he had no time to throw. And that's why I understood. Go with Khalil Tate, who in theory has more mobility to make those plays. And he had a couple of runs where like, hey, that's Khalil Tate. That's the difference you can get from him. But there was they never had a chance, not with that offensive line. Yeah, and I think at this point we all realize Khalil Tate for kind of what he is, where he's basically our puncher's chance against anybody. Because if he's on and making smart decisions and just, you know, is outrunning guys and dropping dimes on deep passes and just, it's that puncher's he chance. He did have the long ball anybody. to Brightwell that right in his hands. Uh. And he, you know, he alligator armed it. Yeah, that's why he's a running back, not a receiver. I think he used to be a receiver. 
Well, that was, yeah, they ran him as a slot guy for a little while, which watching him run the ball makes you wonder why they were running him in the slot all those years because there was not exactly a shortage of under 5'9", quick little bug wide receivers. But did did you feel, you, it's hard to feel good about a loss, right? And there's no moral victories. But in terms of, like we talked about last week, wanted to see a team that didn't quit on the season. Wanted to see a team that did fight. And some of the guys, like you mentioned Trevon Mason, he made that great tackle when they had 10 guys on the field. It wasn't... We've seen worse from this team this season. Just a couple weeks ago, we saw worse from this team this season. Like, yeah, they only scored six points. We're like, you know what? I can excuse that. I can understand that because of the limitations based on injury. 34 points. If Arizona can look at the schedule, they'd give up 34 points in every game this season. They'd be pretty good. Yeah, and imagine... I feel like this game, the one thing that was really disappointing is we had more unforced errors in terms of penalties that just crushed us. And if you didn't have, I, I don't have the stats in front of me of how many penalty yards we had in that game, that, you know, maybe you give up a, a number fewer points on there. And if you had, you know. That's just a closer loss. So Arizona was never well, winning but, this I mean, game. They, they beat us because they're the better team, especially in the lines. And knowing that that is inherently our weakness makes me feel a little better about it. Like Eight penalties s- for 45 yards, by the way, for Arizona. Yeah, I mean, eight penalties is... A Oregon had amount. five for 63. <laughs> Why are you whispering loudly? Because Oregon had more penalty yards, but fewer penalties. Okay. Math. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I mean, the fact that we knew we were shorthanded on the, the O-line, we know there's questionable depth on the D-line. There's some interesting talent there. But you know, you you saw better plays from the safe, better play from the safeties. Tony Fields was a monster, yeah, throughout the game again, and that guy is still showing fight, and he was even, you know, showing the swagger that maybe you, I saw him kind of jawing at guys after he made some nice tackles, and it's like I appreciate that, but you know, when you're down twenty four points in the second quarter, third third quarter, I think it was, it's like maybe you just tone the tra- to trash. To our basketball cards, it's easy to talk trash when you're up twenty five. Yeah. Apparently, it's also easy to when you're down 25. I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds about it because I want them to be playing with a swagger. So if you're if you're not playing with a swagger, you're playing scared, right? Especially on defense. I imagine if you lose all of a sudden pointing to the scoreboard against ASU, it's like, what are you, what are you chanting about? Like you're getting your asses kicked. Yeah. Like, yeah, great, great job on that single play. It's a team game, and so I, I understand that. It's, it I looks mean, a little silly. And, I mean, I think you could even see – I feel like you could see it in the body language of Khalil Tate when he was playing. He was like – even though I, I don't think anybody after the first quarter was over was really – even on that team thought they were necessarily going to win the game, but they were playing with the, the intention of putting forth their best effort more than I certainly saw against Oregon State. Oh, they showed fight both on the sidelines and on the field, and that's what <laughs> huh? – that's look at that callback. Yeah, right. No, but that, that's what we wanted to see from them. And I for what people think of Kevin Sumlin, and I know that every rumor's out there, as long as a team continues to play for him, or at least play for whoever, but they play hard, then you can live with things because they are not as talented as Oregon, and they're not as talented as Utah, who we're gonna talk about in a little bit that game. One guy who you cannot complain about effort, especially, is J.J. Taylor, who announced this week that he is going to enter the NFL draft after this season, which you usually don't hear that in football. You hear that in basketball all the time, like, oh, we're going to go a little bit. We all had a feeling that J.J. Taylor wasn't coming back right. next season. And he shouldn't. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, I love watching him play. He's been far better than I think anyone ever would have expected. The heart he shows, the fight he shows, the physicality he plays with. 
is far better than we would expect from a guy his size. You kind of wish the team was better the last couple of seasons because he's been really good and the team's been at best average. But his last home game is going to be against Utah. Right decision, I imagine. I, I can't imagine you feel like he's doing the wrong thing here. No, and especially given the number of face masks that he gets called and uncalled <laughs> in every unreal. game. Like, I know someone blows, was asked about that, too. He's like, I'm not going to answer it that. It blows my mind. I mean, you know, like like we said before, I have season tickets, and I've been down there, and you get to see some of these when it's 20 feet in front of me because my seats are pretty close to the field. And it's just like, how do you, how do you not Interesting call Interesting flex there. Ah. Hey, you, I, you've, They're nice seats that I sat in them. I know. I've brought you to a game or two. Yeah, I appreciated that. Um, yeah, I mean, and just knowing the shelf life of a running back is what it is. You certainly can't hold it against him. And even as an Arizona Wildcat fan, it makes it a little easier knowing that that running back room is still filled with oh, yeah. a pretty good amount of talent. Like, honestly, there's a there's a realistic scenario scenario where Gary Brightwell Jr. is the better pro in prospects. Like, I think he, he's bigger. He's, he's bigger, and I think... Like, I think somebody t- what was it? Who was it? He had that big run. He busted off and ran like ninety yards, and you know, in some crazy uh, low amount of time. Um, I think he's going to be somebody that goes to a combine and runs a crazy forty. Anyway, no, you're right though. And if you're JJ Taylor, there's nothing left to prove in college football. Yeah. He's not going to get any bigger, and that's going to be the knock against him. But he's shown this year he can catch the ball. He's shown his toughness, and for running backs especially, there's always that fear of injury, right? And he had a huge one his freshman year. Like, that, those things happen. So, to me, J.J. Taylor, this is his last year in Tucson. You play Utah. Hopefully, he leaves with a win over ASU. And nothing but appreciation. He's not going to be the top of the record books. You know, he's not yeah. the Mike Bells. He's not Kadeem Carey. He's not Nick Wilson. But... Hey, he made an All-American team last year. Right. And that's the thing. He's been a really good player the for The lowest-key All-American in U of A football history. But he's one of those guys, too, like this season. And hopefully, Arizona's... Hopefully they're better next season. But he's one of those guys where even when Arizona's losing 34-6, to six, to see J.J. Terry how hard he's played, it can't help but make you feel good. And that's the kind of leadership you need from those players because he doesn't have to run that hard, <laughs> you know, and yet he does. And that's something where you can't – you hope you recruit a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. But from that guy, it's like, wow, thank you, J.J. So no matter what happens – and. We'll have plenty of time to talk about J.J. Taylor again, but just he announced this week that he is not coming back next season, so it's, it's news. But before we talk about the Utah game, which I'm sure everyone is looking forward to hearing because, hey, another top 10 team for Arizona to play. <laughs> really bad matchup in the trenches. Yeah, before we talk about all that, let's take a quick break. So Arizona's hosting Utah this week. It's senior day, which is a really interesting senior day because... J.J. Taylor's going to be out there. He announced he's not coming back. Khalil Tate's a senior, and he may not even be starting. I know Kevin, someone was asked, like, would you think about starting Khalil Tate because it's senior? And he's like, I, this was Monday. He's like, I haven't even thought about that. But I'm sure he is going to start. The, and there's really no reason not to. Like, the difference yeah. between him and Gunnell, while we talk, like, I'm, pro, I'm team Gunnell for the best chance to win for this team. Against Utah, maybe Tate's better. And Michael Lev, he tweeted out something earlier that I found interesting, and I hadn't thought about that. Utah's never faced a healthy Khalil Tate. I saw that. Because a couple years ago when Tate had his big breakout season, Tate wasn't the starter. I think Brandon Dawkins played that game, and Arizona probably almost won, and they had a turnover late. Or I think Tate played, or I don't remember if that was a Utah game or who they – it might have been Houston. I know, turnover late sounds like a story that checks out in general. Yeah, yeah, well, that's Arizona football. And then last season he was already – the ankle injury was banged up, and he left early, and he played, but he – yeah, there was no reason for him to be out there. 
So I, as far as we know, he's healthy right now. So this, not that I think it changes much that a healthy Khalil Tate's going to go and just tear up Utah. But that's an interesting point. But senior day, Utah, Arizona hasn't had that big home upset this season. This has to be it, right? I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not putting <laughs> on the spot like that. It's. I mean, the interesting thing is, if you're going to start him, assuming they're starting him for senior day, and knowing you have a patchwork offensive line against a really good defensive front for Utah. They're really good. Do you... Do we finally adjust our play calling on offense to fit Khalil Tate's, Tate's strengths and adjust for our weaknesses and run a lot of designed quarterback runs and say, you're taking this and you're running it 25 plays this game? Because if otherwise, if you're trying to do seven-step drops with Khalil Tate throwing 50-yard bombs, it's going to be the UCLA game all over again. But, and you said that we all remember Khalil Tate when he was the best two years ago, right? He was the best two years ago. It was a lot more design runs, or at least it seemed like design runs. Even this season, when they've had design runs, he hasn't necessarily been breaking off those plays. Like, he gets four yards, five yards. And so, like, it, whether he's not as fast, whether teams are expecting it, whether the offensive line isn't as good, where the lack of the receivers, because the receivers this year aren't as strong as they have been the last couple, has changed defenses. For whatever reason, we all say just more design runs. And I agree with you. If he's out there, there should be more design runs. I'm just not sure if that's the difference between Khalil Tate being good and Khalil Tate being what he has been lately. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that, and I think we've talked about it, not necessarily on this podcast, but in our conversations, Khalil Tate of the Magical October from two years ago, he would put a foot in the ground and be gone. I don't, I don't, I think the speed is still there. I'm not sure the acceleration is, which I think is the difference between a four-yard gain and an 80-yard touchdown, to be honest. But that being the case, you got to play to where you have the best chance to win. And, you know, like we were saying about running gimmick plays, I think... We need to run all the gimmick plays we can on offense. So Gunnell and Tate in the backfield at the same time. Or you do some design quarterbacks, you know, sweeps a few times and set that up and then have a running uh, running back or receiver on the far side of the field for a lateral, you know, some type of things like that where you can get some big chunk plays. You know, if you're trying to do standard offense, it's I don't see this going well. No, it's not a good match. Like, when Utah first joined the Pac-12, especially with Rich Rod as coach, Arizona had pretty good success against the Utes. It was just, for whatever reason, Utah's talent, the matchup wasn't good for them, and Arizona would win. Obviously, Utah has caught up, and they've become kind of like a Stanford-style player where they may not run the same offense, but they're just big, they're physical, they'll wear you down. They're that good. I like the understatement of they've caught up to Arizona football <laughs> as they are ranked <laughs> in the top ten. Yeah, okay, so they've passed Arizona football More by accurate. a lot. Yes, they've gone to plaid. <laughs> Look at that Spaceballs reference. Thank you. When you look at Arizona, and it's like trying to think of a way for them to win this game, and it reminds me of the Oregon game where it's like, even if Arizona plays their best, at least what their their best is right now with a banged-up offensive line, with what they have, it's like, is their best good enough? And it is if Utah falls flat on their face. It is if Utah plays like Oregon did in Tucson last year, and it's like they just play a bad football game. And it's hard to imagine a team that's 9-1, and one, right now 7th in the nation, coming in not focused on beating Arizona. <laughs> like You'd like to think that they'd look overlook a team like Arizona. But it's a road game, and they have the playoffs in mind. So you'd like to, for, for Whittingham's sake, you'd hope that they come in focused. Like I'm kind of rooting for the Pac-12. I'd like for Arizona to win this game, but I'm rooting for the Pac-12. So it's hard to... Like, I like to say if Arizona plays their best, they can beat an opponent. I'm not sure that's the case right now. I mean, if you're asking me if it's a non-zero chance that Arizona pulls the upset, I think it's a non-zero chance. 
Because I do think a bunch of 19, 20, 21-year-old kids that are on top of the world come to Tucson and see a team that's flailing and, you know, maybe it lets us have an opportunity to throw a few punches and they make a few mistakes and we have a good game plan, a couple breaks go our way. It's not inconceivable. That being the case, or that being said, I'm not picturing – I was at that Oregon game last year, and it, was, it wasn't just that Oregon, you know, tripped over their own feet. We, we beat them. Sure, sure. And it a was healthy kind of, Tate and it was kind of inexplicable in a lot of ways. The, granted, Justin Herbert made some just awful, awful reads. This credit were, he was really good last week. Yeah, he he, <laughs> he, he looked like the guy that people better. say he is. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, being at the game, you could see where sometimes like, where are you seeing the open guy there when he was throwing some of those interceptions? But you know, I think it's a really tall task. Uh, to try to come out of Tucson with the, for the Wildcats to have a win. I don't think it's impossible. I'd feel a hell of a lot better if we had one or two linemen back, which it sounds like we're probably not getting any of them, maybe Jordan Morgan. Um, but the, the three, uh, was it Creason? Uh, uh, Macaulay. Macaulay. And who's the third one that was out? Was Congo back, or was he the I guy? Think he, I thought he was playing last week. Um, I, I think there was another. Oh, I think it's Bryson Kane, who's maybe yeah, not a okay, starter, yeah, Kane, but yeah. he's like they're and kind f- of valuable. He's, yeah. he's basically a guy who s- starts some, and has flexibility at guard and tackle, right? Um, but I mean, right now, there. I think John Jacobs was getting most of the snaps. Who's a fine player, but it's, you know, he wasn't exactly a four-star recruit. Coming I mean, even someone said in his press conference, like, "Well, there's a reason these guys weren't the starters." And it's like, for a coach, I found that interesting. Like, how do you how do you toe that line, like? There's a reason they're not starting because they're not as good, but they're who we have and we like. I mean, as a coach, how do you how do you toe that line, right? It's like there's a reason that's not our starter. There's a reason that guy's third string, right? Well, another shout out to a Michael Lev tweet that I saw the other day. We give we give a lot of love to Michael Lev on. This he's time. great at his he job. He's fantastic. He, I saw him tweet where and you know he's only been uh, Arizona Wildcat beat reporter for a few years now, but I th- he was pointing out. Uh, why does it seem like Arizona football always gets all of their injuries in the same position? And I couldn't help but think, because I don't think he was here yet. Remember like four or five years ago during the Rich Rod years when everybody we put at middle linebacker went Oh, out. when Scooby Wright got hurt, and then like his backup got hurt, there his was, backup's backup got I hurt. Think, I remember when it was like the walk-on true freshman that was starting got hurt, and it's like, well... Some, run somebody well, out there. It wasn't that long ago when a punter was playing quarterback. <laughs> also, I think against USC. Oh man! So, I mean, oh, it happens. And didn't and that, Matt didn't Matt Marin throw a touchdown? He did. Game? But then that that's the problem too for this team. Like if you if you want to say here's how Arizona wins, like their offensive line earlier in the season was better than it is right now because it was healthier, and that's a lot of football is your luck. But there's certain positions where they could afford to have injuries and still be competitive. Running back, they could be competitive. One card, you quarterback, they'd be competitive. Defensive back, probably a little bit. They'd be worse, but they'd be competitive. But the offensive line, like their defensive line wasn't great to begin with. Offensive line, they were okay earlier in the year. They were running the ball well, and I know the competition wasn't as strong as it has been. Mm -hmm. But the offensive line was better, and you could watch them, and they were better. And injuries at this point, because they weren't injured against Washington. They weren't really injured against USC, and they still weren't great. But against Oregon State, you know, and even against Oregon, who's a good defense, a really good defense, just when your offensive line is bad, and this is just football 101, if your offensive line is bad, your offense is that much worse for it. And they're so limited in what you can do. And the fact that they ran the ball a little bit, Arizona, last week was a testament to just, I think, their ability to just keep running, to try. Right. Because you don't want to have your quarterbacks just 
hung out to dry. But that's why it's tough. The line in this game right now I'm seeing is 22 and a half, which is, I think, less than it was against Oregon. So, hey, the home, like 24 yeah, so or something like home that. field is worth something. <laughs> <laughs> two, <laughs> and, <laughs> two points. Yeah, well, there you go. It's usually about, what, three? So that's about right. It's just I don't see how Arizona wins this game barring that total fluke, which I would love to see happen. But I will pose this question to you, Brett, as we wrap up the show here. Arizona has one win left in the season. Do you want to run against number seven Utah or against unranked, likely keep them out of a bowl game, ASU? Man. I can't ask this question next week because next week we, you'd have no choice but to answer one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I'm going to say the ASU game, but not for the obvious reason. I'm not. I'm not just because it's. I want to beat ASU all the time, which of course I do. But I'm because I'm not just somebody that roots against ASU. There's something to be said for ending your season with a win and leaving a good taste in the mouth for the seniors and the guys that aren't returning. And I think even if you pull this upset against Utah and then lose by 20 to ASU, it's going to have – you're going into the offseason, you're going to have less momentum, less positivity, more turmoil than you would if you lose by 22 points to Utah and then go beat ASU with senior Cleo Tate leading the scoring touchdown drive on the last play? It's such a tough question because there's, it's easy to say ASU is the bigger one. It's just bragging rights in general. Forget the winning, ending the season on a win. Which year was it? I think it was like, what, 2011 when it was the second last game of the year and they came up to, two, to Tempe and won the... Yeah. The, one of the interim years when Stoops was fired that year. I love that game. I was there. It was awesome. But... Like a top 10 win matters more on the national scale, right? If Arizona was to beat Utah, that would resonate nationally. Playoff implications, everything. But I mean, big picture, that's more important, I guess. Because you'd say, hey, that shows that something that you can beat a top 10 team. That Top 10 wins are huge. We're usually but, good for one a year. Right? So it has to be this one. But for to beat ASU, and I don't even care about ending this season with a win like that. I mean, they... The year they won, what, three games, but they did beat ASU without throwing a pass in the second half. It was a lot of fun. Didn't really, I mean, it's, hey, Territorial Cup, bragging rights, and that that's what it is to me. I, as much as I'd like to beat Utah, see Arizona beat Utah and have that top 10 win, if I had to pick one, I'm going to take ASU as well because Arizona's not going to bowl game. Assuming they can only win one of these games, they're not going to a bowl game. I was going to say, I want to take option C. They win yeah. both games. And if, if duh. <laughs> so assuming that's not the case they can only win one of them take the bragging rights take the territorial cup back and have that positive momentum because even Rich Ride, he started off 0 for 2 against ASU in his career in Tucson if someone could even that up and that's what it comes down to and for better or worse for whether it's smart whether it's dumb if you can win that rivalry game that buys you some time that buys you some goodwill and that's something that I think this football program needs Kevin someone needs going into the offseason because you're right like to go into that with some momentum even Real or imaginary, because it's such a long offseason, you lose so much of your roster. Is it really a thing you can build off of? If nothing else, his record against ASU would be 1-1, one and, one, and you'd have a road win. Right. I think it'd be less about building positive momentum so much as curtailing the negative flailing momentum that seems to be encapsulating the team right now. And if you beat Utah, then you curtail that, but then if you lose to ASU, it all comes it, rushing it all back. It yeah. Yeah, that, that's fair, because if you beat Utah and then lose to ASU, it's like, well, okay, clearly that was a total fluke. 
But again, if you yeah. beat when you, you said it resonates nationally, it's it'll be resonating as wow, what a fluke yeah, loss then, for Utah. But then again, if you then you beat ASU, and everybody's like, yeah, okay, ASU's not good either. So it's just you beat another bad team. Yeah. But if ASU loses to Oregon this week, like they should, and Arizona can beat them and keep them in a bowl game, well, it wouldn't be like our college years when neither team was any good. And hey, oh. someone's playing someone for a bowl game, a low level bowl <laughs> the, game. The Makovic years, as we call it, the Dark Ages. Or at least the early Stoops years. When Arizona was always like a five-win team, it's like, oh, great. But the, but the fans in the student section would yell, Stoops, when he was yelling at refs. So that was fun. So always? Basically. So I, I'm with you. If I had to choose one of those two wins, I'm taking ASU. But as we wrap up the show here, Brett, as we do every week, score prediction, Arizona hosts Utah, number seven Utah, senior night. How bad is it? I am going to go with... 38 to a competitive 17. I was bring the spread. I was thinking 41-17 before you said anything. You just and keep, I keep doing this three to you. I, I know you think that. It wasn't the case at all. <laughs> so that, that's my prediction, 41-17. Hopefully Arizona just gets out of this game somewhat healthy. Because, yeah, I, I'm only – my singular focus right now is beating ASU. And they got to play Utah first. So if they don't want to just, like, play the backups, which are, I guess, offensive line, most of their starters now – Against Utah, like J.J. Taylor, get out of this game healthy. <laughs> That's important. But, of course, if Arizona beats Utah, it'd be a nice win, a really good one, a signature win for Kevin Sullivan in a year that has gone south. But neither one of us expect that to happen. <sighs> I liked it better when Arizona was 4-1. and one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> better times. And remember they beat Colorado? That was, that was nice. Remember what that time when people thought they were going to end up like with eight or nine wins when they were four and one? I think I was one of them. I think I've still been at seven. I think you did. At you least like, six. I'm pretty sure you tweeted out when both ASU and U of A were doing well. You were like, like they're both pretty good teams. You were like whispering whispers into Twitter. I still think they're both seven and five teams, maybe. Yeah, I was wrong on both accounts. Oh, fair. <laughs> like, who could have seen that coming? I mean, Most you, being, you being wrong on both accounts? Yeah, no, that, that was easy to yeah. see, actually. But thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week previewing an ASU football game that's going to happen, hopefully talk about another couple of basketball wins. But until then, bear down. Bear down.